Hello and welcome to the DH Effect. I am Sonia and this is my co-host far, far away, Hillary. Ah! Hi! I know we're normally like a half a mile away from each other or right next to each other. Yeah. So anyways, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, we are so excited. Our focus this month is staying true to your decided heart, even in the midst of life's bumps, bruises, and deep trauma. Our guest, Susie Q. Wynn, is the author of the book, Hope Blooms in the Garden of Faith, which is her story of trauma, survival, and hope. From serving in the Army to multiple cancer diagnosis to her time as a deputy sheriff, yes, you heard right, Susie Q. has experienced the worst moments anyone can imagine. And yet, and yet... She is still affectionately called the Hope Warrior Princess. Susie Q, thank you so much for joining us today. It is my absolute honor and privilege to be a part of this. Um, and, you know, to be able to share my story to a wider audience, not just the story itself, but like you said, the hope that comes from it, um, that you can continue living, you can continue living a great life. Um, like I said earlier, you know, we were talking about different things and I said, I'm, I'm done being professional. I just want to live life, have fun and enjoy every moment. And I feel like at this point I can do that because I shared my story and it began my path to healing. And it's so powerful. I mean, already, like I have goosebumps already because I, I, um, and I know you, you walk into a room. So I met Susie, y'all. I met Susie Q in 2014, I think around that my husband was working with cancer treatment centers. Um, and this woman, we were getting ready for a fundraiser. And this, this woman walks into the room and like, like you could see the spotlight just on her, like not a real one, but like, and the light and the flow. And I was like, well, that's a lovely woman that I'd like to know. And she sat down across from me and was talking and bubbly and the connection and the warmth and the love and all of that. And then she gets up and she's the keynote speaker and has this powerful, amazing and inspirational story. I won't steal from that. But then a couple years later, not even a couple years later, but I start following her and, and she's, and I, I want you to know, I still do this Susie, because I bet you don't even know this. I see her doing the, um, on nine 11, she is doing all the flights of stairs to honor those who have been fallen, uh, who, who fell on nine 11. And, and I started doing it. I would get on a Stairmaster. I'd find stuff. So every 9-11, I still think of you and I do all the flights of stairs of the towers in order to, to kind of be in solidarity and the inspiration. It just, the thing I love about you and your book is just a perfect extension of this. You walk through life and you, inspiration is who you are. It's not what you do. And I'm sure that that was a huge part of, of this book probably just flowed. Um, can you share with our readers, I didn't want to steal what led up to it, but can you share with our listeners and our viewers, how did Hope Blooms in a Garden of Faith come to be? What led to this moment for you? Um, so it's funny because there's a lot of things that led to it. Um, but going back to, you know, living your life with your decided heart and I realize mine 
began probably when I was 13, because that was when I chose, I'm going to go in the army because I wanted to make my grandpa proud and we were at his funeral. And I did. That's the one thing that kept me focused um, through school was going in the army. So everything I did prepared me for it. And over the years, um, I began speaking at a lot of events with the American Cancer Society through Relay for Life, uh, Making Strides Against Breast Cancer, um, Climb to Conquer, so many things. I traveled to D.C. to speak with uh, Congress and our representatives about passing different bills that would not only benefit cancer patients and survivors, but also people with chronic illnesses and things like that, especially with palliative care. That was a huge thing for me. Um, going from the Army and my diagnosis there with absolutely no one around in a medical hospital and then feeling like I was completely on my own to going to CTCA and having this huge loving support team with doctor and caregiver and nurses and just so many amazing people. I realized there was such a difference. So I knew that that was something that I really had to focus on. So while I was doing that, people kept telling me, you need to share your story. You need to share your story. You need to share your story. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, I don't really have a story, <laughs> but then, you know, other people are like, but you do have a story and you don't just have one story. You have multiple stories and each one of them helps inspire people, helps, you know, almost give them a survival guide because I've been through so many traumatic incidences. And, um, I kept telling my husband, I said, you know what? I think I do want to sit and write. I think this is a good thing for me. So 2014, funny it was 2014 it was right before we met um I was at work one day and I was talking to my co-workers and my sergeant and they told me they said you know what you should really write this down so I went home and I was laying in bed and I told my husband I can't start writing my book <laughs> I don't know why that was such a big thing so I was laying there, it must have been two o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden, this title came to me, which it's funny because I've changed the title, but it was why me, not in a question format, more of a why not me, you know, what makes me special to, you know, people think that, oh, this is so awful, this happened to you, and, and so on, but so many of us live our lives with traumatic incidences and some of us don't realize how it affects us. Um, so I got up and I started typing at two o'clock in the morning and I typed until about 6am when I had to leave for work. And so I went in, I got dressed, left for work. And I got to work and I was talking to my sergeant and I said, well, I sat down and I finally started writing. I said, I've actually been writing since two o'clock this morning. And he <laughs> says, so you didn't get any sleep. <laughs> And I said, no, I was just so excited. I just wanted to keep writing. I said, but I have the entire outline and, you know, my chapters and all of that. And um, it got to be about noon. And he says, you know what, you should go home, get some sleep and continue writing. So I wrote a little bit more. And then as time went on, you know, with 2014, we were planning for the trials for trials. That was when I started doing more running. I got talked into doing triathlons. <laughs> Um, and then I started fighting my kidney stones and had all these medical issues that I dealt with for another three years. And in 2018, 
I realized that my body physically and mentally could no longer do the job I wanted to do as a cop. I felt um, not only was I taking a risk for me and not knowing if I was going to actually make it to retirement, uh, I decided, you know what, I need to take care of me. It's time for me. And so I left law enforcement after almost 20 years in 2018. And that summer, after my daughter and I had traveled for months, my husband was gone. My son had been there. He just got home from Afghanistan and he was leaving. And it was just me and my daughter. And all of a sudden, I just felt this overwhelming heaviness, not necessarily of sadness, just heaviness. And I told my daughter, I need to paint the bathroom. <laughs> I need some Zen. So I started painting my bathroom. It took me three weeks because there were times I'd be standing on the counter painting. And next thing I know, I'd be on the floor just bawling mm. and letting you know these things come out. And that was when I realized I needed to get back to writing my book. And so it was kind of a slow process. And I that was a part of the trauma and the side effects from the depression, trauma, et cetera, was distracting myself. And instead of doing what I should have been doing with writing my book, I thought, oh, well, I can write this book instead. And so I had about two or three outlines with a different series that I had started in 2015. And I told myself, you know what? I have to finish my book first before I can go into the others. And I didn't know why at the time I realized now is because I had to go through that healing process. I had to go through that climbing the mountain and I'm still climbing the mountain. And um, so then in late 2019, is when I started going to the VA, they diagnosed me with PTSD, major depression disorder. I wound up hospitalized for a couple of days because of other issues. And that was when I made the decision, not only to start therapy because I needed it, uh, but the more I started doing therapy and started writing more things down, I realized, you know what, I need to go back to my book. So I, w I started hitting it hard in 2020 and then I went up to Flagstaff for about six weeks, was doing my therapy up there. Um, it was brutal, but I thought, you know what, if I'm climbing a mountain, I should be in the mountains. Mm. <laughs> so I, I spent six weeks in Flagstaff with my daughter. It was great. And I got a lot of typing done. And then, um, you know, I just kept pecking away at it, pecking away at it, along with treatment and therapy. And there were some times with therapy that it was so hard. Um, the thought of even going into my book or opening a new wound, <laughs> mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't do it. So there were some times, you know, it was three to six weeks between me writing and starting up again. And then last year I was offered this amazing position as a campground host up near Greer with all the pine trees, 9,300 um, feet elevation. And I told my husband, I said, this is the perfect place for me, not only to finish my book, but to continue my healing. And I didn't realize, I knew I'd always been drawn to the pine trees. I didn't realize how healing it was for me. So um, 20 or last year is when I sat down and said, you know what, I'm finishing this book before I go back down to Phoenix. And so I sat down, I just 
plugged away, plugged away and wound up finishing it. And it was such an amazing feeling of accomplishment. But 2014 is when it really started. But then again, I didn't really get into the meat and potatoes of it until 2019. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> I think what's resonating with me is, um, you know, in terms of living the decided heart effect, I, I think uh, humans, we like to think of our lives as sequential, like, oh man, that was hard. Okay. Brush it off, move on. Like, and you leave it behind somehow, like you leave that moment or experience like, oh, thank gosh, I, I went through that. I will. I want to leave it back there. Um, but what I'm hearing, you know, what you're really sh show, sharing on all honesty is it kind of follows you. Like it's, it's something you don't just cut, throw it away and be like, I survived that. And, you know, as when we survive, we're in the moment. We don't see ourselves as a character like enduring or storytelling. We just survive. And what's resonating is I'm going to bring up uh, a term duende in flamenco. So I studied flamenco a little bit and there's a term called duende. And what that is, it's a very core essence of, of your heart and it, whether, wherever it sits, it could be in that gut, but it's, it's your absolute core. And it's the reality of duendes are the shadows that harmonize with your joys. It's, it's the dark and the light connected and as I imagine you, you know, moving, moving in all directions, moving forward, but in all directions, there's this duende that's, that kind of solidifies itself um, up in the forest. Uh, so I really appreciate that it's okay to feel like you're not going to just let it go and leave it behind, that it's something that follows you and, and you it, incorporate that, right? Yep. And that was one thing that... I thought I was, you know, doing so good because my trauma started in my childhood when I was five and then it was compounded by trauma and more trauma. And then, you know, going to the Persian Gulf during the Gulf War at the age of 18 and scuds coming at me and the craziness going on. And then, um, you know, throughout the rest and everybody's like, oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. You're so strong. And in my mind, it was being reinforced that just keep going and, you know, keep trying to push that trauma to the back. And then I think the reason everything came to light in 2018 was because I finally gave myself the time and the opportunity to just be quiet, be quiet. Don't be busy. Don't worry about being productive. Just be. And I hadn't, done that and I don't think ever <laughs> mm. and so doing that and giving myself that space and knowing I was in a safe space you know at my house that was when things started coming up and I realized then that ignoring it and just surviving isn't technically being strong it's the thriving mm daring surviving that brings that strength and recognizing and realizing that trauma is always going to follow you. It's always going to haunt you. And people don't realize how much it affects their day-to-day -day lives. And that was when I realized that, yes, I had <laughs> bagfuls of trauma, but I no longer wanted that to 
basically direct my life. Mm. And uh, when I had that breakthrough and gave myself, I realized I had stayed busy, 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 busy for years because it was my way of escaping the trauma, escaping the pain. And now, you know, through therapy, I've recognized a lot of things, but recognizing who I was while going through these, you know, traumatic incidents and law enforcement and so on, I still had a very empathetic heart. And I still am very empath. <laughs> and I realized that I could still be that way, but I had to take care of myself first. And that's what I've been really focusing on lately is that, yes, I have the trauma, but once I exposed it, shared it, wrote about it, talked about it, cried it out. I am at such a better place now mentally, emotionally, even physically. I mean, even though I'm recovering from a broken ankle and two broken leg bones, I'm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I'm... She had a, a bike accident too, Sonia, like right around the same time as Jeff, we were like comparing, yes. we were comparing x-rays. Oh my God. <laughs> I, <Yeah>. know. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I love that. I, I mean, I think that this is a huge, if, if I may have just it, this is a huge teachable moment that I really want our listeners to sink into because I think when I have my, my clients, like when I see extreme busyness, my like extreme, my first question is, what are you out running? What are you afraid of? And it's in that silence. If I'm in the silence, the fear of dealing with it and what is going to be said and what, what is, what is going to come up? And the fear of if I empty this cup that I'm holding of all of these things, will it ever end? First of all, will it, will there be a, will there be a point that it's on empty and what will I fill it back up with? Because this has been what has been inside of me for all that long, for all this time, you know? And so I see that. And I will, I, every time I say, what are you out running? What are you afraid of? The tears just come because it's like, they'll look at you and they're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're right. And there is this this relief and peace, but it is, it is scary only because what is it? The difference between fear and excitement is a breath. You're holding your breath worried that something is going to overtake you or that you are going to crumble or this last thing that's going to happen. is going to be that peace that crushes you. And when you actually breathe through it and you start to release it, what happens is what gets named no longer holds power over you. And so I, I still, for those people who are out there right now that are listening and are identifying are like, oh my gosh, that's me, my busyness. Oh my gosh, sitting in stillness is scary for me. There is just this relief and, and understanding and knowing that when you share the story, it isn't scary. It actually has less power. And every time you tell it, you give it less power, power to change other lives but less power to actually own your actions and, and create these triggers and trauma responses. Would you, I see you nodding your head. I absolutely a hundred percent agree because for the longest time when I was staying busy, 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 I kept telling people that was my purpose. That was my purpose. This is why I survived, you know, at the age of, 20 when they said I had a 50-50 chance of surviving and uh, of surviving five years. So, you know, is the time when went on, 
I think I felt it was my purpose to do all of these things I was doing. And I do still believe some of it was, but I took it to the extremes of having zero free time. Uh, you know, when I was working, I would get up at three in the morning. I'd leave the house by three 30. I'd meet a friend um, either at the training center or downtown Phoenix. We would go for our run and then I'd go in, I'd shower, get ready for the day. I'd work all day. And then I'd have conference or phone calls or meetings or events or whatever at night. And then Saturdays and Sundays, I stayed busy. And I realized that part of it was my purpose, but I took it to the extreme because of my trauma, because it, it, I knew that I was struggling with depression because I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And over time it started affecting more and more. I stopped socializing as much. Um, I stopped going to events as much. And I just, I slowly pulled myself away from it. And 2017, the end of 2017 is when I really realized I had an issue and um, everything came to a head with my kidney stones, fighting those for three years and them telling me that there was nothing they could do. Um, I had to give up coffee <laughs> and all of these overwhelming things. And I was home completely by myself and I couldn't go to work. I couldn't, um, I couldn't do anything like for five days. I didn't shower. I barely ate. The only thing I got up for was to let my dogs in and out. And I started going down an extremely dark hole to where I, I did. I scared myself. And, um, it's crazy because, you know, people never realize how much, or what somebody might be going through and they call or they text or something. And that, that is what helped me was because not only was I talking to my husband daily, but you know, he was doing military training. Um, but I had a friend that I hadn't spoken to in a while that just reached out to, Hey, I've been thinking about you. You've been on my mind a lot, hoping that you're okay. And it was one of those where all of a sudden this little bit of light, came back into all the darkness. And I thought, you're stronger than this. You have to deal with this and face it and take care of yourself. And so that was when I started making the, um, I guess, steps towards, you know, leaving my career and focusing more on myself. And it's scary because people, people realize that if they're not busy, those symptoms of depression start creeping in and all of a sudden they're like, wait, where am I at? And, um, I just, in my head, I, I kept telling myself, it doesn't matter what your body can physically do. It's what your mind thinks you can do. And so it's always been, you know, mind over matter. It's that will. And it was so deep inside me that I realized, okay, you need to come out of this and you need to focus on being strong and that's going to come with healing. And, you know, there's been a lot of times I've done a lot of crying and screaming and cussing and everything. Um, and, you know, my therapist told me from the beginning, 
it's going to be like climbing a mountain because I did, you know, the John Muir trail in 2016 and <laughs> it was tough, yeah. but during, while I was climbing, especially up to Mount Whitney, all I kept singing to myself was uh, the Sarah Evans song, a little bit stronger. Mm. And all that's all that kept going through my head was I'm a little bit stronger. I'm a little bit stronger. And so that has been my mantra going through treatment because my therapist said, you know, it's going to be like climbing a mountain. It's going to really suck. And she says, even coming down, isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be a little easier than the climb up. And it's crazy because I still don't feel like I've hit the top of the mountain yet to start coming down, but I feel like I'm a lot closer to it. And I just keep telling myself I'm a little bit stronger. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just feel like I, I'm going back to when you said thriving, you know, what does that really feel like, look like for someone? And then of course there's thriving is, is a, such a unique experience for each of us, but you show up, it takes courage, honestly, like how, you know, the decisions that you can make when it got really hard, like when you finally said, I'm going to have to do that, I'm going to have to write in the stillness, and really look at these experiences that have impacted me. A lot of us would be like, no, thank you. Uh -uh. I'm going to comfort zone. I just want to be really busy. Right. And so some of the things coming to mind is the persistence, the commitment, the courage. You know, when you talk about the switchbacks on a mountain, do we just want to go back all right or do we do we just take it one switch back at a time yep. um and to me like the celebration of thriving in that mm. really owning it and um i am also curious because you found a tool so i can see like one might decide i'm ready to be still i'm ready to really absorb you know what my life was is how how, how it's all impacted but what's the tool you discovered this tool of writing um, and the and words. And, you know, I'm just curious. I know I'm going to deviate a little bit, but when did that come up? Was that something that you always knew that writing was just one of the super tools that you can apply? Or did it just kind of show up when it needed to in your adult life? Um, so, guys, I was teaching stress management at the um, academy to do recruits. And one of the things that I always said was, you know, there's going to be instances where you're, you know, something traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you, but people may not understand it or, you know, you may not feel, you may not feel like sharing so I told them to start journaling and that way they kind of have a record of where they were at and they can also see if they're going down the road where they're having more stressful situations and other things are kind of starting to fall apart or they just need to get it off their chest. And it's very hard, whether it's military, law enforcement, firefighters, there's so many people there of the still um, old mindset that just, you know, work through it, work through it, just suck it up and move on. And I had heard that pretty much my entire life. So to me, writing became an outlet when I was very young. And I remember I got this little tiny diary and it was green with gold trim. And that was where I first started writing. And then 
I realized my obsession with pens and papers. <laughs> so I would find fun notebooks and I would write and I would get, you know, back then we only had the one pen where you could get the four different colors on it. And I love that pen. And um, so I noticed, especially now as I've gone back, but even throughout my career taking notes and things, I've found that I still use different colors depending on what I'm writing about, depending on what emotion I'm in. And um, so I started journaling then and then it just continued. And whether it was an actual journal, I didn't have one of those until I was, I think when I was uh, in basic training. (laughs) So in the meantime, I was, you know, using loose leaf paper and making my own journals and binders. And I had kept all of that. So even up until, you know, I started writing this book, I was still journaling. So I had that outlet this whole time, but I didn't realize putting it all together was going to be such a healing step for me and such an amazing outlet because I have always loved to read and to write. And um, I have such a vivid imagination. I would put myself into one of the characters in the books. (laughs) And that was my outlet, you know, visiting new places and meeting new people and things like that. So it had always been a tool. And when I was teaching about it, I realized that I needed to take that advice as well. I could journal about it. That was great. And I had all these journals, but it was time for me to let it all out so I could understand where my trauma began and how that has affected every decision I have done since then, as well as every reaction. Because as we know, life is two percentages. 90% is what happens to us. 10% is how we react to it. And so I decided my 10% was going to outweigh that 90%. And that was through writing. I have the chills and it does. I mean, you're such a beautiful writer. I, I can't recommend the book enough. Um, to to people. And I I do, I mean, this really comes out in the book, but I would love to sort of close up our conversation today with, you know, again, trauma after trauma, we haven't even touched on them, but, but you didn't just fight cancer once. I mean, there were, there were, it came again and there were so many things that had happened. Your story is, is fascinating. And yet you still in the midst of all of this show up with strength and joy and hope. I'm, I'm curious, can you give our listeners and, and our viewers a little insight into what is your fuel? How are you able to fill up that way so you can show up in your life so fully? So I think for me, um, ever since I was younger, I always felt like there was something with me through, you know, some of the worst times and darkest times of my lives. And I I never truly understood what that was. And I was 12 sitting at in church at an Awana's group. And this lady that had been part of our community for years, we called her grandma butts. She passed away um, a couple of years ago. She was 100 absolutely beautiful lady. And I remember seeing her and listening to her and thinking, 
I want what she has. I want that light. I want that joy. Even though she had lost her husband, she was fighting health issues herself. She always had a smile. She was always so warm and loving. And I asked her, I, I said, where does this light come from? I don't understand. How are you always filled with joy? And she started talking to me about, you know, being saved and, and things. And she sat with me. I was 12 years old and I'll never forget it. And she sat with me. She prayed with me. She explained it. And I took that joy from the faith, knowing no matter how dark things got, somebody was always with me. Mm-hmm no matter what relationships I went through and if they ended or, you know, got bad or whatnot, it didn't matter because somebody was always with me. And so that was why I changed the title to hope blooms in a garden of faith, because for me, it's always been my faith. And, you know, I'm not one of these people that goes around quoting scripture or, you know, I don't even go to church anymore because as you can see this beauty behind me, this is my church. This is what is natural and soothing and healing to me. And years later, I remember hearing something about a broken vessel. And, you know, everybody was so upset over this vessel being broken. And when they put it together, there were all these cracks, like scars. I have invisible scars as well as physical scars. And I realized that you know, through what I'd heard about this vessel, that when everything was put back together, that was when you could see the light shine through. And so years ago, I think I was in my early teens when I heard it and that resonated so deep within me that I thought no matter how broken, how cracked, how many scars, I can still let my light shine through. And you know, I grew up in kind of a negative environment and I always told myself, this isn't me. I don't like being negative. I don't like negative people. And, you know, so it's very rare that you hear me complain about things or, you know, what's happened to me or what's going on, because I feel like there's always something to be grateful for. And I don't through smile through my eyes uh, actually not then I'm hoping that that gives a little bit of hope and light to somebody else Susie Q I, I think that what a great way I mean for starts you know in terms of having that someone with you or that sense of hope um, for our viewers and listeners is the first step is to get your book <laughs> get your book hope blooms in the garden of yep. faith and, and, you know, this is so important for the DH effect. It, it is a sense of belonging. It's, you know, where are my people physically, emotionally, spiritually? Um, that is what truly anchors us to one another and to our, our own meaningful life. Uh, one last question, because I know that our viewers and listeners are going to be so curious, like, where can I get connected to Suzy Q? Where do I go? What's the best way for them to reach out for, to you? Um, either through my Instagram accounts that you're going to put up here or my Facebook page. And I have two Facebook pages. I have uh, my personal one, and then I have my Susie Q when author, um, or they can even send me an email at Susie Q win at gmail.com. 
Thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode. I hope you've been as inspired as as we have been, um, and and how I, how fortunate I feel to have been inspired by Susie for all Susie Q for all of these years. Please be for sure to follow us as well as Susie on all of these social media platforms that are going to be there. Subscribe to your favorite podcast platform because you don't want to miss this episode, let alone any of the others. Check out our website, thedheffect.com for more great opportunities to really be able to sustain this decided heart. I mean, it is such a beautiful thing to see people like Susie Q living this out loud, but we all have a story like this. We all have a purpose in this world and finding it and living it is such a beautiful thing. And again, thank you, Susie Q. Thank you to Sonia. But Sonia, until next time. May you have the courage to live with a decided heart.